I was reading something interesting, speaking of gray heads, uh, by Paul Tripp uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He said that, and I'm paraphrasing wildly here, but he said that old people have a role in the gospel just by living. And by that, he meant they're sprinkled throughout the world to remind the rest of the world, this is where you're heading. It is, it's a reality. Old people remind people we do not live forever. And, uh, but I'll tell you, it's a joy, isn't it? Isn't it a joy? Every season is a joy. Um, one of the, the blessings of ministry has been uh, the people that you meet, people like yourselves. It is uh, encouraging to me that so many new faces are here. Uh, I loved all the old faces I knew, but something would be amiss if there weren't a whole lot of new faces in the last few years. And that's uh, evidence of the work of God in this place. Hi, Chris. Good to see you. Uh, um, and uh, that's another thing I was going to say. Uh, I used to have a calendar for a brain. Now I have a colander. I brought my notes. I used to be able to just put a couple words in the margins of the text and just go from there because those few words would launch a train of thought that would just bring back everything that I had prepared. Now the notes might be in the margin, but the train has left the station. So bear with me. You'll be very glad that I have notes. If I start to ramble, uh, Han, raise your hand. It's my beautiful wife, Gwen, back there, for whom uh, this Mr. Magoo would be had been off the track a long time ago. Uh, but... Um, there is that verse in Mark that actually brought tears to my eyes when we were anticipating going into full-time service. It required leaving our home. And that verse in Mark that said, uh, no one has left home or fields, brothers or sisters, mother or father, for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, that will not fail to reach, uh, to, to receive even more than that. I think even a hundredfold. And this is part of that, that proof. I know people in this room today because of the paths of the Lord. Certainly true. Uh, uh, is Shane here today? Ah, there he is. I was going to say I don't want to put you on the spot, but prison ministry has given me a lot of friends. And uh, one of the dearest is sitting in your, your fellowship today. Shane was a real help to me when I was in. He knows Spanish, and I don't. <laughs> and we did the Bible study up on his tier. And uh, even the guys in their cells could hear it. He was my Spanish translator throughout that whole time. And uh, God really is, and I'm sure he's going to be a blessing here too. Thank you, Shane, for being here. Thank you for your phone calls uh, and your friendship. But you also meet a lot of people in the churches, those that support the work, have a heart for prison ministry, their families, and uh, volunteers. And one of the wildest volunteers I ever met, Tom Olson, huh? you remember, uh, he was a, uh, a prison minister, but a wild kind of guy. He also was a street evangelist. And one of the things he did in the city, and this was uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, he used to do that. He'd go downtown, and he'd put his coat on the sidewalk at a busy intersection. And then he would leap all around it. And he would yell, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. <laughs> now, that's obviously insane. But it attracted people, and pretty soon, when he had a large enough group around him, they're all wondering, why is he pointing his jacket and saying it's alive? And then when the crowd was sufficient, he'd lift it up gingerly, 
a little, a little fearfully, and the people would back up a little. What's under that coat? And he'd lift his coat, and there was the Bible. And he would pick the Bible up and goes, it's a lie. And of course, some of the crowd would disperse at that point. But for those that remained, he would explain why the book is a lie. And uh, when I say the word of God is alive, what verse, this is a little Bible quiz here, what verse comes to your mind when you think of the, the word being a lie? Which one? Hebrews. What's the street address? House number? Come on, we can do this. Who's being shy here? Chapter 4, who wants to put the street number on the house? We're getting closer. We're down the street. Someone find it. I'm not giving it to you until you get there. So open your Bibles to chapter 4 of Hebrews. What's the house number? 12. Thank you. Well, that ends the rest of the quiz I'm going to give you. The Word of God is living and active. I'll be reading from the New International Version. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Some translation says it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, the motivations of the heart. What else can do that? We struggle to define the difference between soul and spirit, don't we? The Word of God knows how to slice between soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. I thought about this. I don't think joints and marrow even meet. But the Word of God can slice, penetrate, divide. There's something living about this book. Now think about that for a second. I'm going to focus on those two opening words. The Word of God is living, and the Word of God is active. And part of it today is I'm going to apply where I've seen it happen, where I've seen the Word of God live, and where I've seen the, the Word of God act. That's another translation for active, uh, effective, powerful. Where can you find a book so old that everything in it is as relevant as this morning's news? This book is a miracle. This book cannot be what it is. Sometimes the inmates will ask me when I'm going cell to cell, well, if God would show me a miracle, I'd believe it. If he opened up my doors, miraculously sent an angel like he did, like you said, he has an axe, I would believe. And I said, are you sincere? That's what I'll say. Are you sincere about wanting to see a miracle? Some of them say, well, you know, you can tell they're just kind of jiving. But for those that are sincere, I say, then open this book. This cannot be what it is. You ask a rational person out there if a book that's 2,000, between 2,000 and 3,500 years old, a 1,500-year uh, span, with 40-something different authors, different walks of life, different times, different places, and every detail, every event does not depart 
or contradict any other part of the book. It's as though one mind wrote this book from beginning to end, and it's a collection of 66 books. This book cannot be, humanly speaking, what it is. So if you have friends that say, uh, I want to see a miracle, ask them if they're sincere, and then tell them the story, the background of this book, and say, read it. If you're sincere, I love it when uh, a person takes the book. I always come into prison with a stack full of Bibles, the paperback ones that you can give away, New Testaments. If I'm up on the tier, I'll carry New Testaments. Uh, I'd like to carry the whole word, but sometimes just the sheer weight means you've got to carry the pocket knife once in a while. But the New Testament has the gospel. And I love it. I love leaving empty-handed. I don't go into prison with my own Bible because I want to leave that prison empty-handed. If I can put the word of God into a man's hand, the spirit will do whatever he wants to do. I think I've shared with uh, this fellowship before, but maybe some of the new ones haven't heard. I once gave a man uh, a Bible who resisted receiving it at first, but he was a guy that I had known from way back from when I did time. And he was, uh, he had been out Midwest and Leavenworth. He was doing a lot of heavy time. He was such a dangerous individual, they put him in the maximum security unit in his own cell. Now, everybody is doubled up these days, and sometimes even more. But when you put a man in a single cell on maximum security, that means no one else can be in that cell with him. But because I knew him, I went back into that unit and uh, struck up a conversation with him. We talked about the guys we used to know. He was glad to see me. Uh, and I kept saying, he kept asking me, Lenny, what changed your life? And I kept telling him, Jesus. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I'm glad that worked for you, man. And, uh, and I could tell by his body language he's ready to end the conversation. And that's when I gave him the Bible. And I said, Ray, take this Bible. It changed my life. Uh, he said, I'm glad it helped you, Lenny, but I ain't into that. And so we talked a little more, and I asked him again, Ray, take this Bible. It could change your life. He says, Lenny, I don't want to disrespect you, but I'm not into that. And you know how the Holy Spirit kind of gives you a leading as to how far you should push a thing? And you hope it's the Holy Spirit at this point. I said, Ray, let me put this Bible on your little shelf. They had a little triangular piece of metal welded into the, the corner of their cells as a little shelf. And I said, let me put the Bible on the shelf, and if you don't want to read it, I'll come back and take it. And I could see him pausing for a second, and he said, all right, put it on the shelf. And uh, he admitted to me later that he was thinking to himself, if that's what it takes to get rid of this guy, put it on the shelf. <laughs> you know? Well, I didn't get back to him for two or three months because uh, it was a big prison. Uh, it wasn't the only prison I was going into, and it was a very uh, uh, isolated unit. But three or four months later, I got back to him. And I have to tell you that it was a paperback Bible I gave to him. It had seen so much use in those few months that I could see his fingerprints over the face of the paper. And there were little scotch tape notes at the top because he didn't know his way around the Bible. He would put a little note, a scotch tape piece of paper over a verse that said, love or peace. And uh, I asked him what happened. He had given his heart to Christ without any human agent. He had read that Bible through. And because he couldn't remember where it was, he had those, you know, those yellow legal pads 
the, the like 11 by 14, uh, he had a stack of them. He'd write down the verses because he knew he'd never find them. Uh, he said, after I left that day, he put the book against the window to keep the wind from coming in. And he left it there for a couple days, but a couple days later, he started feeling guilty that he's using the Bible to block the wind. Now, think about that. Does that make any sense? Where does that come from? So he decided to take it off the shelf. And then he began to flip a few pages. Somewhere during that time, the Spirit of God moved in such a way that he gave his heart to Christ. He went on to be one of the strongest inmates in that prison. They started putting people in a cell so that he talked to them about the Lord. Uh, he did his time. He got out. Uh, I wish I could say his road wasn't bumpy. It was. But it's a living word. The book is alive. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 22, when speaking about the, you don't have to turn there, but speaking about the, the Father's commands, he says, these commands, when you walk, they will guide you. It's a living word. When you sleep, they will watch over you. Figure that one out. It's a living word. And when you rise, they will speak to you. That's what I want to say. The word of God is alive. God wants to communicate. He's a communicating God. The eternally living God has given us a word that is eternally able to speak. Um, this last week, we all uh, were kind of amazed by the images. How many of you saw those images from that telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope? Raise your hand. I'd like to see how many. For those of you that saw it, what would be a one-word how did it make you feel in one word? Give me a few little, tiny, yeah, awe came to my mind. Uh, the psalmist says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I, uh, we do a Bible study in our 55-plus community, and we've got some new believers coming. And what, you could pray for that. What a, what a privilege. We, they've even allowed us to put it in the community newspaper, every week we now have a Bible study, non-denominational, Christian, strictly Bible. And one of the new people came when uh, we brought up the, the early images, because we do the Bible study on Thursday, and I think those images came out Tuesday or Wednesday. And, I, and without even asking them, one of the women said, it made me feel so insignificant. You know, we're talking about galaxies, <laughs> Galaxies, with each galaxy having an average 100 billion stars. Our own galaxy, catch this, they estimate that our own ga galaxy has 100 billion stars. Or maybe 200 billion. They don't even know how many stars we got in our own galaxy. And they keep adjusting the numbers. Five years ago in Nature magazine, they, they uh, said that uh, the new estimate on galaxies is 10 times the number they previously knew, and that was just five years ago. And now we've got a telescope that can penetrate even further. And what does the word of God say? Lift up your eyes and look at the heavens and ask yourself, who created all these? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. 
he who threw those that starry host into the sky, who by number can call them by name. And because of his great strength, his mighty power, not one of them is missing. Now think about that. How many stars are there in all those galaxies? What's the cumulative number of stars? The Lord knows the name of every one of them, and they're on tap for when he wants them. He calls them by number. All right, this troop come forward now. This troop come forward now. The word of God is living. That's who threw those galaxies into being. And I was listening, as I was listening to some of the comments of the, the media, I didn't hear one mention of God by any of them. Because not only does the, the godly man look at the heavens and say, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. The godly man knows that that God, who threw the galaxies into the sky, cares for us. What are we that God should care for us? Who knows the names of one plus how many endless zeros after it? Stars. But you know what the fool in his heart says? There is no God. Because unfortunately, there are two voices in our reality. And the man without Christ hears only one of them. The opening verses of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's where we get that. That's the voice they hear, the, the voice of the world, the voice of the flesh, and the voice of the devil. And if you do not have Christ, you do not have the ability to discern one from the other. Psalm 36, uh, the first couple of verses of Psalm 36, says that uh, transgression speaks. Transgression speaks deep into the heart of the wicked man. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. See, that's, what the, that's where we were before Christ. Think back for those of you that uh, remember who you were before Jesus came. No fear of God before our eyes. And the nature of sin is such as that it keeps telling you what a good person you are. Flattering yourself too much to detect or hate your own sin. Many of you are familiar with my testimony. I had 35 jobs by the time I was 30 years old. Now think about that. 35 jobs by the time I was 30 years old. I had an anger issue. I couldn't work for someone very long without getting mad over something. I only got fired twice. Once for coming in drunk and once for beating up a fellow employee. But most of the rest of the time, just quit out of some perceived injustice. And if you'd have asked me, and I wasn't thinking in those days about anything. I was living day by day. So if you'd have asked me a philosophical question, why do you think you had 35 jobs in 30 years? My answer would have been because it was just my luck to wind up working for 30 jerks in a row. Hello. The problem's not maybe somewhere else. Sin flatters us too much to detect or hate our own sin. I better get to the notes. Starting to wander. No, actually, we're pretty on target here. This is good. <laughs> the second thing is that the Word of God is active. I'd like to talk about that. 
It's at work. The, the other things that are described in uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. There means that there's no weapon or surgical tool that's as sharp, that's able to penetrate as deeply as this word is. Uh, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrates even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges, some translations say it discerns the thoughts and attitudes or intentions of the heart. It diagnoses. Isaiah 57, 20, 21 was pointed out to me by a pastor who was hearing my uh, testimony when I was just a young Christian. And he showed me Isaiah 57, 20, and 21. It says, the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. If there's a verse that described my life, that was it. Restless, rebellious, wicked, casting up mud and mire in my life. Why would God choose such a person? To this day, I do not know, but I am so grateful. There's only two responses you can have to the Lord. If you've been touched by God, if the miracle of grace through faith in Jesus Christ has touched you, you're A, humbled, and B, grateful. Isn't that not true? Humbled that, Lord, who am I that I should be here? Look where I'm standing today. The Bible says in Psalm 113, around verse 7 or so, he raises us up from the ash heap and seats us with the princes of his people. I'm a witness to that today. Yes, he says he will be called before governors and kings to testify. That's true. He's asking us to testify to our friends. What accounts to the change in your life? It's because the word of God is able to change. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. The word of Christ. Uh, as the rain and snow come down from heaven, said the prophet Isaiah on behalf of the Lord, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. Uh, it waters the earth and makes it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, says the Lord. It will not return to me empty, but will what? accomplish the purpose for which I have sent it. The word of God is active. It's alive. It has power. In 1975, the word of God pierced my heart at the age of 31. And he did it, he did it through a verse of the Bible that came through the mouth of a pastor's wife. I got back in my car after that, and I'm thinking, she's a pastor's wife. They know stuff. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Because the verse she gave me was, well, let me tell you first what, how we got to that verse. Have you ever heard of the evangelism explosion questions? Those are very cool. I use them often. The first question, there's two that I use. The first one is, where do you think you would go if you were to die today? And she asked me that. He had started talking to me. I was a salesman at the time, one of my many jobs. It was going to be a short-lived job because I, had, uh, I was a terrible salesman, number one. And number two, I didn't have the heart to sell him anything, so this wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> but uh, as I'm standing on their doorstep at the Parsonage, where they lived, I'm thinking they need cleaning chemicals. And the pastor would come out, and he'd talk to me, and he'd say, well, things like, well, Jesus can change, clean your life up. 
And uh, no matter what I said, he would get it back around to Jesus. I saw that they needed ice melter and it was getting towards winter. This was Massachusetts. I said, you guys could use some ice melter. And he'd say something like, well, you know, Jesus can melt your heart. Just like, and you know, I needed that. I needed to know that Jesus was the one I had to deal with. Uh, I'm Italian and French, so I could be a salad dressing, but I was definitely Catholic. (laughs) And I knew that Jesus was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God. Uh, But somehow, for me, he was just one of the players on the stage. You know, we've got other players on that stage. Uh, uh, And so I just thought it was a religious phrase, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It meant nothing to me. I didn't know, but thanks thanks be to God that his word is living and active. And uh, they kept focusing on the name that I needed because there is no other name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. One of the new people in my Bible study, we've got people in there that don't know the Lord. And one of them came first time uh, last week, week before last. She said, the problem I have with Christians is that they think that they're the only ones going to heaven. Now, what are you going to do with that? You know, you got a brand new person. They're from your community. But you know what prompted her question? We had just read John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And that prompted the question. And then I took her to John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but through me. You know what her response was? Silence and an open mouth. And I dared not mess with that. The Word of God is living and active, and uh, when, when she asked me where I would go if I were to die today, talk about sin flattering yourself. I said, I'm going to heaven. All that muck and mire in my life, that was my appraisal. And you know what I said? Because he knows I'm basically a nice guy. Flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. And when she asked me the second question, and this is the big one, if we were to ask you why he should let you in, what would you say? You know, those... Those are two important questions because the second one tells you basically on what they're relying to get to heaven. That's a key question. I use it a lot myself because if they say things, well, like I pray a lot. It's not what the Bible says. Praying's good. And unless the prayer is, Lord, come into my life, you can pray all day long. I go to church. I try to be good. You see, that was my answer. I'm basically a nice guy. That's why you should let me in. He's God. He knows I'm basically a nice guy. Well, he is God, but he knew just the opposite, and I needed to hear it. And the verse that came out of her mouth was Matthew 7, 23. She says, Lenny, I hate to tell you this, but he's going to say, depart from me, you work of iniquity, because I never knew you. Spear. Double-edged sword. Penetrated my heart. For the first time in my life, good time Charlie to realize that he was in trouble. That's what I needed. And only the word of God can do that. I've quoted that verse to other people, and sometimes it just bounces off them. But on that day, in the spring of 1975, 
God pierced my heart and said, Lenny, you're in a whole heap of trouble and you will not see my face in heaven. And I drove off there a little, little angry. That was my modus operandi anyway. But pastor's wives know stuff, and I figured she reads that Bible, and it bothered me. Some months later, the pastor, they were friendship evangelists, I have to say that. They invited us to their house. We saw the good life they had. We weren't buying so much what they were selling, but we wished they had that what they had. And at one of those meetings, the pastor, Doug Nelson, they're both still alive today, by the way, said to me, Lenny, you say you believe in God. Why don't you think he'd do so, something so loving as to send his son to die for you if that's all he could do to make you right with himself? I've used, that, I've used that question with people too. And most of the time it just bounces off them. But on that day, the word of God was living and active because the Bible declares that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know why God chose me. There's no, no, uh, no works that deserved it. But God loves sinners. There is nobody in this room today who's in a situation or condition that is beyond the reach of God. God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. But it didn't end there. The work of the word and sanctification was next. Two months later, my wife, a hostile atheist at the time, raised her hand in a church service and gave her heart to Christ. That's a miracle. After I became a Christian, the pastor, I started taking our kids to church. That really made her mad. I didn't even mention I didn't even think of asking her. One day she decided to come with me just to spite me. Go figure. Doug told me that he had had the church praying for my wife. Now, you gotta th I've been a Christian a, a couple weeks when he told me that. And I'm thinking to myself, good luck with that. Seriously, you don't know my wife. I mean, I think prayer is cool. But in this case, uh, think twice. A month later, she came to church with me just to spite me. We went to their Sunday school class. They had one just before the service, like you have. Uh, it wasn't so attended as the church service was, and we, so we had it in his study, and it was a small group of us. Want to know what the first verse my wife ever heard? Wives, submit to your husbands. It's a miracle. God was showing by that that there is nothing that he cannot do through his word. Our marriage was on the brink of divorce. We had been married just three years. We had met at work in October, moved in together in November, and were married in January. That was going someplace. Straight down the tubes. That's when God rolled up his sleeves and said, it's time to bring this couple home. And he did that. The work of the word and sanctification, Lord Jesus himself said, Sanctify them by what? The truth. Your word is truth. There's another verse that goes with that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. 
The psalmist said, I have considered my ways in Psalm 119 and have turned my steps to your statutes. That means there's my ways and his ways. And the gift that God gave my wife and I as, as baby Christians, and this is a gift, he gave us the gift of an absolute faith in his Bible. If they could show us in this book something that was contrary to the way that we had previously thought, we considered that way and turned our steps to his statutes. That's what was going on. That's a miracle. The first thing they did was saying, you've got to get baptized now. And you know what my answer was? Big people do that? Really? That, I was surprised. I couldn't picture a big person, you know, being in that little tub, in them, you know, that little round one. Only babies fit there. But they said, no, we're going we're gonna to put you in a pond. A pond! <laughs> that was the happiest day of our life. My wife and I were baptized on the same day in a pond. And then we heard a message about a month after we were saved. The pastor, I don't know if he was doing it just for us, but we heard it. The Lord said, I hate divorce. And we were on the brink of it. But remember I said he gave us a gift? Because many dear people have not had that, that, that opportunity. But he gave it to us. He said, I hate divorce. And so on our way home, my wife looked at me and I looked at her and I said, we're stuck. We're stuck together. My wife says, I know. <laughs> then she thought a little and she says, I know. I know what God must be doing. He wants you to be my cross to bear and I'll, you're, I'll be your cross to bear in life. I mean, that's the best you can come up with. We told the pastor that the following week, and he kind of smiled and said, well, I think God has a better plan for your marriage than that. This past January, we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. To God, he deserves that. That's because the word of God is living and active. Oh, and it didn't end there. <laughs> Thank the Lord for notes. Not only did he restore our marriage, uh, he dealt inwardly with the anger, subdued the anger. That took time. He cleaned my mouth out. That was instantaneous. I thought everybody spoke in four-letter words. All my friends did. Instantly. Never used those words again. Uh, some things took longer. But the inward change had come. And even though the outward is changing, the inward is being renewed day after day. The Lord shows me new things every single day in his word. I anticipate it. I have confidence even in my uh, skittish thought state that God is going to speak today, not because I have any ability to do that. But if I speak his word, there's power there. I'm convinced that there are some of you that will be touched by what I say today because it's not me, it's him speaking. It's like the pastor's wife saying what I needed to hear the first time. God's word is living and active. He put us into full-time ministry, gave us many friends, uh, and the work continues. 
The one who spun galaxies, I'm going to read what I wrote here. The one who spun those galaxies that we saw just a sliver of this past week. That's all you got was a slice of a certain part of the sky. And it was filled with not just stars, but galaxies all containing billions of stars. The one who did that came to this blue planet in human history 2,000 years ago. What is earth that God is mindful of him, of this? If God did that, there's a plan for you. Of all the stars and all the planets, God chose this one to visit. And he came through the womb of a Jewish virgin in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, was born, lived a perfect life. Last three years were spent teaching us the word of God. They rejected him. They crucified the, the king of kings, the creator of the universe. He who was with God in the beginning, he whom nothing was made that has been made, was on this earth. And we put him on the cross according to the word of God. You have great value in Jesus' sight. Would God do something so loving as to come to this earth in your age at this time and say to you, I love you. I died for you. I want you to be with me for all eternity. The word of God is living and active. The Father put them in our minds and wrote them on our hearts. The Spirit teaches us all things and brings to our mind everything that Jesus said. And Jesus, who is the word of God, became flesh and died for us. Rose again on the third day, proving who he is and that the offer and sacrifice was accepted. The prophet Isaiah said, whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. I love the way the King James says that. Walk ye in it. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, are you a whoever? If you're a whoever, you fit here. Put your own name there. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the way. Walk ye in it. Just want to encourage you today that this book that we love, and we do love it, don't we? Where did that love come from? Is it the paper and ink that we love? I encourage you young people, read this book. I think I told you before when my son was 15 years old, he had a hard time jump-starting his, his reading in the Bible. So I told him to read the Proverbs. I've told this story before. He began to read the Proverbs, and that did jump-start his Christian walk. So for you young people, I'd say read the Proverbs. Start with them. Get those nuggets of wisdom in there. My son read so many of them that if I ever did something wrong, he would go, Dad, you know there's a proverb for what you just did. <laughs> God is good and what he does is good. 
Your word is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Can't have a sermon without Spurgeon. Spurgeon said it was so important. He said this, if you do not esteem the word of God better than your own food, let me read it, let me quote it because it's so important. Yeah, he said, if you do not esteem it as better than your natural food, you lack the greatest evidence of your Christianity. Isn't that interesting? If we love God, then we must love his word, right? It goes with territory. I'll close with this last uh, parallel for, from prison. One of the, the, probably the most prized possession in a prisoner's cell is letters from home. They even call them lifelines. That's their reference to them, lifelines. They don't throw them away. They tie a string around them or a rubber band. They keep the stack. Uh, when they receive a letter from their special, special person, when a girl receives a letter from her boyfriend or a man receives a letter from his wife, there's actually a little ritual they go through when they receive those letters. They don't open them immediately. They hold it in their hands. And they touch it because she touched it. And the first thing they look at is the return address. It's her. And they touch that. I've known some guys that, lick the, that lift the stamp and lick it because they know that she did that. It's a ritual. They smell it to see if maybe she put some perfume in it. And then they open it slowly. And they don't start at the beginning. The first thing they want to see is, how did it sign off? <laughs> they don't want to see sincerely there. Hope you're doing well. Right soon. Now they're looking for love you forever. And if that's there, ha, huh, then they go back to the beginning. And they look for their name. Yeah, that's it. That's their name. I'm going on a little bit because it's a ritual. Do you think if they got a letter from a collection agency, they would give it the same, same t take? No, because it's just paper. It's not the cover, it's not the paper, it's not the ink, it's, from, it's who it's from. The one who loved you so much, he came here. The one who threw the galaxies into the universe came here as a man, loved us, died for us, rose again, sends his spirit, lives within us today. John 14 says, the Father, Son, and Spirit have made their home within us. What more can he do? And I leave you with that. That's the word. What more could he have done? For those of you that walked with the Lord many, many years, you know what I'm talking about. But if there be anybody in this room who has yet to, to make that decision to follow the Lord Jesus and to recognize what he has done, let his word speak to you this morning. He loves you. In 